As I, as I looked at what I was going to preach today, um, we're in the Elephant in the Room uh, series, which is always about topics we don't usually cover to a great deal. And, and I was thinking about uh, what would be something that we haven't covered for a while. And I've come up with the, uh, the message of what is immorality? Uh, yes, we're going to go down that line today. What is immorality from a biblical perspective? And um, we live in a, an era where we are bombarded by sexual images, sexual definitions, uh, whether it be online or social media or TV or in advertising. Uh, we are we're completely uh, bombarded by this, uh, this sense of what we're supposed to believe about sexuality, uh, how it all works. And uh, I, was, I was thinking when I went to America 30 years ago for the first time, um, we were hungry and we saw a, um, a restaurant bar slash bar called Hooters. And, and we thought it had an owl on the front. And so I thought it was just a restaurant bar and go in there. So when we walked into the restaurant and bar, obviously the, the term hooters had nothing to do with owls. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the girls' dresses were really short and the, the t-shirts were really tight. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I thought, oh, crazy world. And then a couple, just two years ago, uh, me and my boys were coming back from the mountains on a snowboarding trip in Colorado, and we saw um, uh, a restaurant slash bar called Twin Peaks, <laughs> which we thought was a mountain restaurant, <laughs> uh, you know, Twin Peaks, and we walked in there, and obviously Twin Peaks had nothing to do with mountains. It was girls in short dresses and very tight tops. Um, uh, and, and, and you get to see the point that I'm making is that we are surrounded by things like that. And, and the truth is, though, of course, that sex and sexuality is God-created. Guys should be interested in girls. Girls should be interested in guys. And this is the biblical concept that God puts in the Bible very clearly up front, like right close to the front in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. He starts, well, actually, in verse 20, I only put this one in because I find this the most amusing Scripture in the Bible. I, I really do. So God gave, so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. No problem with that. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So God has said, I've made all the animals. I want you to name them, Adam, and find yourself a mate. So Adam looks at all the animals. Yep. Can't find much, like the lips on the giraffe, it's a bit too tall. <laughs> like sort of the shape of the monkeys, a bit hairy though. And God says, well, let's go down a different track. Why don't I just make somebody for you? And then it goes on in, in verse 21. And the Lord caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from a man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed." Adam and Eve were created, not born, which is an interesting fact, because as soon as I go that in my head, if they were not born, do they have or did they have belly buttons? <laughs> did, they, did, 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 did they just not have them or did God just put a stamp there? 
But the Bible states very clearly that God created a man and a woman as two different biological sexual beings, bringing both sides of God into His creation. That's what He did. He brought both sides of Himself into His creation as man and woman. There's no doubt the plan is that they would be a helpmate, they were designed to be together, to uh, be in companionship with one another, but also to reproduce. Understand that the, the, the design was also a, a plan by God to make sure that His God created gener- will be generation after generation after generation. So He designed it perfectly for both reasons, for companionship and reproduction. They will commit to one another. They would become one flesh, the Bible says, of what we call today married. See, we are, we are created male and female. Now, what you do with your sexuality is up to you. The other thing that God gave humankind was a free will, a volition. In other words, we could decide what we wanted to believe. We could decide what we wanted to be and what we wanted to do. And everybody gets the right from God to make free will choices about everything in life. Now understand that with the, with the, the pressure of free will comes the responsibility of the decisions we make. And every decision we make has a consequence somewhere, somehow. So choose wisely when you're creating decisions, but we do have a free will, all right? What to believe? We can believe, you can believe anything you want in life. You can be anything you want in life. It's up to you. God does not make us do anything. But I find it fascinating that Jesus says this to His disciples in Luke chapter eight, verse 25. He says, they're in a storm. They're going across the, in a boat across the, uh, the sea there and uh, a big storm come up. They were worried. And Jesus said to them, where is your faith? All right, they were afraid. But listen to that. He says, he says where is your faith? He doesn't say you need more faith. He, he doesn't ask the question, do you have any faith? No, he says, where is your faith? You see, everybody has faith. Everybody has a, a, a believing button inside of them and we get to decide to put our faith somewhere as people. That's free will. We can believe anything. Um, you've got, you can choose what you like. You can choose what you wanna believe in. And so the question that Jesus is asking us is where, not do you have faith, but where is your faith? Now, if you, if you choose to put your faith in following Jesus, and I want you to hear this, if you choose to put your faith into following Jesus, then you believe, you choose to believe what the Bible says. You can't do this, you can't do both separately, you gotta do both. If you choose to believe and become a Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, then you choose to believe what the Bible says. Your decision, up to you, I'm not making you choose anything. It's just, where is your faith today? I've chosen to put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of my life. I have chosen to believe the Bible is the best plan from God for mankind. So Adam and Eve became one flesh, they were married, committed to each other, socially, emotionally, sexually, and to each other's best. They were committed to one another. This is the biblical concept of marriage. One man, one woman, naked, and unashamed. See, sex is not sinful. And remember this about God. God doesn't view sin from the eyes of right or wrong or good or bad. He doesn't say, He doesn't call that sin because it's bad or it's wrong. No, God's concept of sin is always dealt or looked through through the eye or the lens of life and death. So when He says that sin is not because it's bad, 
or wrong. He says, the consequences of that are gonna take you in a bad direction. That, that, he's looking at a design plan. He's not, he's not designed us just to rely on our feelings, but He's got a plan for the best. God wants to bring life eternal and life abundant. He is not a cosmic wet blanket trying to stop our fun and deal with so we don't have any fun in life. No, no, He's saying if the way I cause sin is that it produces death. And it mightn't be physical death, but it'll be death in relationships, death in potential, death in self-worth, death in possibility. He says, these are the things that, so, so when God views, when we're talking about these things, understand it's not whether, it's not our feelings that God's interested in, it's so much what's gonna help us be the best we can be. So sex is not sinful, it's a God plan, but God has designed it that it's best for everybody when it's done in the confines of a marriage. It's best for everybody when sexuality or sex is in the confines of a marriage a commitment, an ongoing relationship. You see, I know in life that privilege should always carry responsibility. If you have privilege, it always should carry responsibility. I'll tell you why, because privilege without responsibility will always corrupt itself. Privilege without responsibility will always, if you have a privilege without responsibility, you will be corrupted by it. Now sex is a privilege, all right, and uh, therefore it should be tied to the responsibility of the outcome of sexual relationships. It's the privilege, but it's gotta be tied to the outcomes. If you have the privilege, you've gotta have the responsibility of the outcomes as well. Proverbs chapter five, verses 18 through 23 says this. Uh, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her, satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. And I have no idea what the fountain is. Um, it, it talks about here that we're to be, we'll, we'll go on. Uh, For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man, of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man and he's caught in the cords of his sin and he shall what? There's a, there's a death to it. When we go the wrong way, when we go outside of God's Word, it's not, it's not trying to stop us from enjoying ourselves. He's saying, when you go this way, there's a death attached to it. We, we shall die for lack of instruction and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. A very clear picture, you know, stay in the confines of your marriage. This is where it works best. Sexuality, sex works best in the confines of your marriage. Don't get stuck with an immoral woman. Stay in the confines. Why? Because this is the best thing for you. That's how God's planned it. Not because He doesn't want us to enjoy life, because He wants us to enjoy life. But He's also got a design for family, community, and civilization. There's a marriage seminar, and they were doing a survey on sex, and they were asking the guy, was asking people how often they had sexual relations with their wives and husbands and, and uh, people putting up, you know, people doing it, having it twice a week and people putting up their hands and then once a month and people putting up their hands. And, and he said, sadly, some people only uh, have sex once every six months. Is there anybody like that here today? And this guy put his hand up and he was smiling. And the guy looked at him and said, you only have sex once every six months. Why are you smiling? Tonight is the night. God has deemed 
that the best place for sexual relations is within the confines of a marriage. He has deemed this is the best place for the couple, for the children, for the family, for the community, and for civilization. That's why he's done it this way. This is his reasoning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, Paul tells us this. Now, Paul was a single, and uh, he couldn't understand why we all couldn't stay single. Um, so he wrote this to the Corinthians. He said, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, uh, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. Uh, let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her and likewise also the wife to her husband. You can see over and over again scripturally, the framework of sexual relations is done in the confines of a committed long-term relationship that we call marriage. Anything outside of this biblical pattern is not God's plan and it's not God's best for us. And it's called sexual immorality. That's what it's called. Outside of the plan of God, we call it, or the Bible calls it, sexual immorality. I'm gonna go through three Scriptures right now. I'm actually not going to say them. I'm gonna put them up on the screens and I'm gonna give you time to read through them. And we'll go to the next one and the next one and the next one and then I'll just talk a little bit about at the end of it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. All right. <clears throat> For this is the will of God. You should abstain from sexual immorality. Scripture number two, Romans chapter Then Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Adultery is sexual relations outside of the marriage uh, pattern. That means you are married and you're having sexual relations with somebody outside of that. Fornication means that you are not married, but you're having sexual relations with people and you are not married. And I'll just, that last bit, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, the picture of here is of sexual immorality is that it's not God's best for you to get involved with these things. That's what he's saying. You will not inherit the kingdom. It's not the plan of God that you go with these things. See, we all have sexual desires and physical needs. And the Bible tells us to find a husband or find a wife and meet together and be in that committed long-term relationship. It says avoid sexual immorality, avoid these things. Why? Because at the end of the day, they don't bring you life. They end up causing bad things to happen. That's the heart of God. And I want you to see that. It's important we realise the reasoning behind Scripture here. It tells us it's not God's best that we get involved with these things. We have, <laughs> as I was remember the story of um, uh, a young couple who were getting married and uh, they're engaged and the, uh, the, the young guy, he went to the pastor and 
He said, um, he said oh, Pastor, you've got to help me here. Um, uh, I'm getting married to this beautiful girl and I'm having sexual thoughts about her already before the marriage. I think I have a, a spirit of lust. Um, can you cast it out? <laughs> and the pastor looked at him and said, well, yeah, I can, um, but then I'll have to cast it back in after you get married. <laughs> you know, the most, um, the most powerful sexual organ in the body is still the mind. Uh, and there we've comes the, the strategy for us as believers. Your desires are strong, but your mind can be stronger. Uh, and that's the plan of God, not just for sexual immorality, but for the way we should do life. Um, here's God's plan to help us deal with ourselves in all sorts of areas that we struggle with or deal with or come against us in life. And it's, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through six. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing, I want you to hear this, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all that disobedient thought when your obedience is fulfilled. I see this is, the, this is the strategy that God gives us to be able to deal with the world that we live in, the tension between the flesh and the spirit, the tension between what the world says is okay and what God says is the best way for us. How do we deal with the things that come our way? And it says this, and I find it very practical here. It says that anything that opposes what God says, bring those thoughts into captivity. Anything that comes against or stands against what God says, bring those thoughts into captivity. It's like what we do with criminals in society. We bring them into captivity. If we don't bring them into captivity, they wreak havoc in the community. And thoughts that oppose what God says to be biblically true, if we let them loose in our mind, they will create havoc in our head. It says, it says, bring those thoughts into captivity, all right, to the obedience of Christ. So when we, when we get stuck in a, in a position where we're getting bombarded by, by messages from, that oppose the Word of God, we've got to take our responsible action and say, no longer will I meditate on those things. And we'll do what the Bible says, because it says in Philippians to meditate things that are pure, that are praiseworthy, that are noble, that are trustworthy. He says, let those thoughts loose in your mind. Meditate on those things because what you meditate on the most is the direction you will go in life. What you keep in your head is where you end up going. You don't, so you don't see with your eyes, you see through your eyes. You see what you believe. If you watch the State of Origin, which Queensland happened to win again <laughs> the other night, um, it doesn't matter what you saw, you will see it through the eyes of what you believe. And if, and if a player's doing something really bad and you're on that team's side, you don't see it as bad. That's why at a traffic accident, two people can be standing there and see the exact same thing but tell a different story and no one's lying. Because what you believe determines what you see. And what you believe is determined by what you let loose in your mind. We, where is your faith? Not do you have it? <laughs> Where is it? Where, where do you put it? Where, where does it go? We need to take control of our thought life. Well, well I can't, Mark. They, I, I can't. Well, there might be a few people that have real issues in controlling their thoughts, but the rest of us, really? No, you, you really can take control. 
Well, I can't stop swearing. If somebody pulled a fingernail out every time you swore, I reckon there's a good chance that you could stop swearing. And for most of us here in this room, it'd only take one. A couple of you. So the question is not, not can I, it's will I? Where do you put your faith? What do you believe in? What do you trust? Uh, I know that if I capture those thoughts and not let them roam in my mind and bring them into a, a place of captivity and think upon the things that God tells me, then I can head in that direction. That's why we can win. That's why we can be successful. And there's a great warning in, in Proverbs uh, 25, verse 28. It says this, <clears throat> whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. In other words, if we don't take control of what we believe, uh, who we are in our mind and our heart and our emotions, we're like a city without walls. Now remember back in the day when this was written, a city without walls back then was a very bad place to live because you are open for people to come and steal from you. You could be invaded at any time. You had very little security or defence. So you could be plundered at any moment. And, and therefore people in cities without walls uh, tended to be more anxious, more fearful, more confused. And I wanna tell you today, if you don't have rule over your own spirit and you're believing, you're like that city. In other words, you're vulnerable for attack. The enemy can come in and plunder. He can steal your joy, your potential, your thought patterns, your faith. You're, you, you, you're gonna live a little bit more anxious and fearful because your, your soul doesn't have fortifications around it. So you're, you're in that anxious state of invasion. And that's why it's so important that we understand that that, that city is at the mercy of every fear. Well, our soul is at the mercy then of every feeling, every wrong thought, every disappointment, every deception which leads to confusion, anxiety, no hope, depression, wrong choices, strange thoughts and desires and on and on it goes because we need to make sure we take control of the spirit world and our mind and under the influence of the, what the Word of God says so we're strong. We're not like that city without walls. It's so important to saturate ourselves with the presence of the Holy Spirit, to find ourselves feeding off the Word of God again and again and again. God has given us a free will. You get to choose how you live life. You get to choose what you wanna believe about life. But if you wanna follow Jesus, then the Bible says this, if you wanna follow, if you wanna put your faith in Jesus today, the author and the finisher of all things, the alpha and the omega of all things, the one who created all things, the one who formed himself in, in, in humanity and died on a cross for our sins and our sicknesses. If you wanna follow, if you wanna put your faith in Him, if you wanna, you don't have to today. You don't have to, but if you want to, you choose to put your faith in Jesus, then listen to what 1 Corinthians says, chapter six, I think. Flee sexual immorality. And I find it fascinating that the Bible over and over again, this tells us to stand, to stay strong, to pray until, 
And it's sort of the sense of not giving up. But here we see a complete opposite direction or attack from the Scripture about what we need to do. Flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Move away from the car. Flee. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I find that such a powerful Scripture of, and I, I, I don't know how you see that, but I see that as a great comfort to me. It says there's this God that, that made me, designed me, died for me, rose again from the dead, is now trying to protect me from myself, trying to lead me on a path that will end up in the right places and not the wrong places, end up with the right results and not the wrong results. Uh, that I'm bought with a price. I'm His. You see, people who follow Jesus are not perfect, but God is a good God. He is a good God. He is for us. He is not against us. He forgives us of our sins and our failings and our mistakes. He loves us. He died for us. Jesus said to His disciples, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus' followers put their faith in Jesus. That's what they do. Jesus' followers put their faith in Jesus and the teachings of the Bible because we believe that God's ways are higher than our ways, that God's ways are higher than man's ways. And I don't know about you, but as I look at the world around us, I'm more convinced than ever that Jesus is our only hope. I mean, we're, we're, apparently we've come a long way in thousands of years and uh, we're smarter now than we ever were back thousands of years ago. And, uh, and, and yet we're, we've got wars and trafficking and drugs and corruption and racial issues. People still can't get on because of the colour of their skin and and, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. I just go, you know what? Uh, 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 as smart as the world pretends to be, it's just not that smart. It's just not, it's just not that, that. We're no different to what we were thousands of years ago because the issues with the world are not climate change, though it's important to look after the climate. It's not that. It's a moral problem. The, 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 every challenge we face as a species, is, it, it ends up in a problem out there, but it all starts back in here. You know, the whole greed is the essence for the mess of so many things that have gone wrong. And Jesus came not to deal with this or that or that. He came to deal with this because He knows that's our only answer is to deal with our heart. Deal with our heart. Where is your faith today? What have you decided to believe in? What have you decided to believe? Would you believe in Jesus? Would you put your faith in Him? Would you trust the teachings of the Bible? Not because it feels good, but it's your answer. His ways and what the Bible teaches are the best plans for you, your children, your family, this community and the world that we live in. It's Him, it's Jesus. Choose Him today. I think we sang that song earlier. Choose Jesus, choose Jesus.
Choose Jesus. Just you close your eyes, bow your heads today. Lord, I thank You. This is a great group of people. I pray today that God has, I've spoken, I've read the Word, that the Holy Spirit has breathed upon what was said and read today. I pray that a sense of freedom would come around our lives, a trust in You, a decision to trust You even more than we did before, knowing that You've got our very best at heart. And God, I thank You right now that Your Son's death is not been done in vain, but it produces life and life eternal and life abundant. We thank You that the power of heaven came and loosed Him from the grips of death and He now abides as King of kings and Lord of lords. God, I thank You right now as a church, we would believe, God, we'd have compassion without compromise. We'd accept necessarily without agreeing, but we'd accept people, we'd love people into the kingdom. God, because they have a a, a will to choose how they want to be and live. And God, I pray that they would choose Jesus today. And as I close, maybe you're here today and say, you know what, maybe I need to choose Jesus. Maybe you might say in your heart, I need to choose Jesus again. A a time of decision. Where is your faith today? Would you choose Jesus? Would you choose Him today? I love, I'm not gonna embarrass you today, but I'd love to pray with you right where you're seated today. If you say in your heart, you know what, I, I, I wanna choose Jesus. I, I, I wanna choose Jesus again. Then this is your moment. So while eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up, give me a wave and go, you know what, pray with me today. I wanna choose Jesus. Thank you at the back. That's a great decision there. Thank you on the side. That's a great decision over there as well. If that's you today, just switch. Thank you in the middle. That's a great decision there as well. I'm just going to look one more time. Just give me a wave and say, you know what? Pray with me. I want to choose Jesus today. Thank you right there at the front. Great decision right there. Lord, as I looked, I saw hands go up. But it's not what you saw. You saw their heart. They're yours. It opened towards you and now... You have rights into their world and you said you'd forgive them of every sin, every failure, every mistake and remember it never again. You would love them so closely and tightly. They become sons, daughters of the Most High God. I thank You that heaven rejoices right now for these ones. So important. And God, right here at City Point, we rejoice with them in Jesus' mighty Name. And all that agreed said, Amen. Let's celebrate those great decisions today. Congratulations, congratulations. Congratulations.